Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 13 Weeks of Halloween. <laughs> Sam Baxter. Hello, Pissy Mile. What's going on? Uh, not a whole lot. I went apple picking last week. That was kind of cool. How was it? It was nice. It was a little warm, but it was it was a nice day. I had wanted to go so bad. Unfortunately, uh, it was not in the cards for me. <laughs> <laughs> you said it was warm. Yeah, it was, it was a little hot. It was about eighty. That's too warm for apple picking. I'm sorry. If, if I'm going apple picking, it needs to be sweater weather. I, I would tend to agree, but we didn't get lucky on the day this year, so well, what else you could do? Maybe we'll have to go again. I mean, <laughs> I'd be cool with that if there weren't currently like 17 pounds of apples in my kitchen. 17 pounds of apples? Yeah. What did you get 17 pounds of apples <laughs> for? <laughs> well, Sarah wants to make like pie and things like that, so... Mm. How yeah, many pies? Apparently you realize five. one pie is like half a pound of apples? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently like five pies. I don't know. We're also, we're both on diets and apples mm. are allowable snacks. So mm. what kind of apples are of they? Day. Um, I like empire apples personally. I never see them in the grocery store. So I like to get those because it's like, well, if I'm going apple picking, I'm going to get the thing that I can't get at shop, right? Did you pick pick them or did you like just buy a bag? No, we picked them. Well, that's good at least. Yeah. No, who did, who did you go with? It was just you and Sarah? Uh, no, we went with our friends from college who both listened to the podcast, Nancy and Krista. What was that? Nancy and Krista, who both listened to the podcast. Nancy and Krista. I, the only reason I said what was that is because just as you were saying their names, I sat on the wire that pulled the wire out of my <laughs> headphones and I missed everything you were saying. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a real high-end production here at My Spooky Cave Family. <laughs> we try. Uh, well, that's exciting. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Uh, have you ever made applesauce? I have not. Um, I have heard it is relatively easy. I would think that it would be. It can't be that. Like, what What do you do? You smack I mean, them. My- <laughs> it's applesauce you just you 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 i don't know i'll sit on them i'll make them like a like a <laughs> headphone wire and i'll just turn them into applesauce my understanding is you basically cook them and then mash them up how long do you cook th- you like bake them i don't know i haven't looked in depth but my understanding is you either bake or like boil them and then mash them up i'm a little disappointed you've had these apples for days and there's <laughs> still no instructions or or anything no. i i remember looking up how to make applesauce at one point because it was something i was very interested in then it dawned on me i was like oh right apples have a ton of carbs so that's a no but uh i i still would i think enjoy making it mm-hmm Do you think you would do like flavored applesauces? I think I would probably throw some like cinnamon in there. Cinnamon? Maybe a little like some cloves? Yeah. Like some some sort of like 
approaching pumpkin spice cinnamon. <laughs> like maybe throw on some allspice with it. You know, I wonder if it would, well, not if, I wonder how it would change the consistency if you added like a little bit of butter. You know what I mean? Would that just make it apple butter? I don't think so. I don't. I have no idea how you make apple butter. I really don't have any clue. Um, I just imagine that apple butter had so much sugar, it became like viscous. I have no idea. We actually bought apple butter on Friday when we went. Have you used it? No. I have never actually tasted apple butter. It's I've never, delicious. I've never had it. It tastes like <laughs> apple butter. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> It's extremely helpful. I'm I do what I can. <laughs> Thank you. I'm well known for my descriptors. <laughs> um I love apple butter. It's so fucking good. Bob loves apple butter too. For those of you looking for a good <laughs> Halloween slash Christmas present for Bob, apple butter is the answer. Did you know how easy it was to make apple butter? <laughs> <laughs> Bob's gonna fucking murder you. Um Did you know how easy it is to make apple butter? Walks away. <laughs> Stands staring at a wall for seven hours. <laughs> have we explained this joke before? I don't think we have. No. <laughs> so in our family, Kevin started the joke that Bob has NPC energy, meaning this is like a, a video gamer's term where uh, NPC is a non-playable character, meaning like people in an RPG that you like walk around and you can talk to. And you'll be like, I need to find this like bit of information. And you'll talk to an NPC and they'll be like, did you know how easy it is to make apple butter? And then they just like walk away. And if you ask them, if you talk to them again, they just say the same thing like over and over and over again. And I guess Bob, <laughs> Bob at one point like walked into Kevin's room and was like, did you know how easy it is to make soap? And then just like left. <laughs> I, he's going to kill me because I don't think that's actually what happened. I think he probably said, did you know how easy it is to make soap as like a conversation starter? And Kevin probably looked at him bewildered and Bob was like, this was supposed to start a conversation. Typically people would say how, and then you would explain it. But uh, Kevin did not. So Bob just ended up looking like an NPC. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Bob is the NPC Apple butter making soap making <laughs> character in our family uh yeah i i would love to try making apple butter i would love to try making applesauce i would really love to try making pumpkin butter i mean i feel like it's got to be similar to the process for apple butter i just don't know what that process is i don't know either like do you cook it do you cream it do you squish it i don't know i mean i assume you have to cook it but like in terms, like, what do you do to it? Like, cook it, blend it, add a shit ton of sugar? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. Speaking of video games, though, there is something that I'm very excited for that's happening this week, and it's not the movie that's coming out on Friday. Really? Yes. What is it? Back for Blood is coming out on the 12th. So is it's that actually Left out for Dead, already. but not? Yes. It is really? made by the same people who made Left for Dead. Really? Yes. And it is now available on PlayStation. It's on PS4? Yes. <gasps> oh. And it's four-player online. Oh, no. We literally just before we started recording, I was like, I don't have a day off for like six years. And now Sam's <laughs> like, 
guess what? You don't have a day off? Well, good news. Your favorite game is now available on the system you own. <laughs> I mean, I obviously I haven't played it. We're we're recording this before it comes out. But um it basically it it looks like it's Left 4 Dead 3 with some updated graphics and you can play with up to 4 people. Oh. I want to do that. I want I'll that t- for I'll you. I'll tell you what. I know that Wednesday, we are busy doing something else for a little while in the afternoon yes. that I can't talk about yet. No. But uh, it's very exciting, and you're all definitely going to be very excited to hear about it. Um, we are doing something for a short time in the <laughs> afternoon on Wednesday. But maybe Wednesday night, mm-hmm. we all play... What is it? Back blood, for blood. blood. Oh, it's like I was like blood among us. Back for blood. <laughs> Back for blood. The the blood the left for blood. <laughs> um, we can play left for blood on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, also, I looked up how to make pumpkin butter, and I'm yeah. assuming it's probably pretty similar for apples. It's basically just like pureed. This one in it's specifically pumpkin. It's pureed pumpkin, uh, vanilla. For some reason, apple juice. I don't know what part that plays in huh. the process. I guess it's just a flavor. Uh, s- some other spices and cinnamon sticks and sugar. They're all just... You, you combine them in a saucepan and basically bring them to a boil and reduce to a simmer for 30 to 40 minutes. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that's not, that's not too arduous. No, it's not. It actually seems relatively easy. And if I had to guess, apple butter is probably a pretty similar process. I would imagine. Although I would imagine before pureeing the apples, you'd probably want to bake them. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah, because I assume that this recipe is calling for essentially, you know, it's calling for a can of Libby's. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I I did not. Look. It's, well, it says... <laughs> This is one of those like bullshit recipe blogs where it's like you have to scroll for 16 hours and then they're like, they're like, my family loves pumpkins. It's like, wow, you're so unique. Um, It says three and a half cups of homemade pumpkin puree or one 29 ounce can of of not the pumpkin pie filling the pumpkin puree puree. Right. So, uh, yes, you can do the Libby's. Or any other brand, since we're not sponsored by Libby's. Uh, Or you can puree your own pumpkin, which sounds tedious and horrible. (laughs) Like, why? They're like, oh, well, it tastes so much better when it's fresh. I'm like, the fuck it does. It doesn't taste as good as not having to scoop the insides of a pumpkin out for four hours. See, I've been looking for a sugar pumpkin this year. They're all really small because I wanted to make stuffed pumpkin. Mm Mm-hmm. And I cannot find one that is of a suitable size. Really? Yeah, I've been having a hell of a time finding one. I'm. Sh- Did you go to like a shop right or something? Yeah. And they didn't have them. Not big enough to stuff. No. What about like Trader Joe's? Tried there too. Whole uh Whole Foods? I don't go to Whole Foods. Oh, excuse the shit out of me. <laughs> Whole Foods is expensive as fuck. I don't go to Whole Foods. <laughs> Sam was like, I don't go to Whole Foods. I don't work with those animals. Also, um, they're owned by Amazon now, and there's a little bit of like, I'm not going to Jeff Bezos's grocery store mm. where he charges an absurd amount of money for carrots. Yeah, I mean, I I do try to avoid Amazon when I can. 
if I can, but it's it's tough. Yeah, it's, you know, when you're doing drag and you need shit in a pinch, it's like there are just times where it's like, where do you get a blow up doll in 24 hours? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just one of those things. It, that's just the way the world works. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely stuff that just I can't find anywhere else and I have to order it. And it's it pains me a little bit every time. I'm not a big fan of shopping on Amazon. I don't love it, but I I pay for a Prime membership, so it's like I'm not I I can't exempt myself from the judgment. No. You know? So, I There guess is no is. ethical consumption under capitalism. There's there's nothing you can do. And that's why I try to explain to people, it's like I guarantee people are like, "Oh, I shop here because they do this." And it's like, "I guarantee I guarantee that this company gives money to groups you hate. I guarantee that this company donates money to politicians you don't like. Like, it's just, that is where we are at the moment. And without yeah. without reform, it's going to stay that way. So you might as well just, uh, with the exception of places like Chick-fil-A, where they're giving money to international groups that actually are, are funding groups that are killing gay people. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say there's very little you can do not to support those systems at the moment. But that's not what why we came here. <laughs> <laughs> we came here to talk about sugar pumpkins and pumpkin picking. Did you pick pumpkins as well? Uh, no, we didn't. You, they didn't have them? No, they had them. Uh, oh. We just... We were there for apples and I didn't want to walk all the way to the pumpkin patch because it was like half a mile from the farm stand and <laughs> I'm kind of shocked. I would have thought you'd be more excited for the pumpkins. Did you look for sugar pumpkins at the pumpkin at the farm? Yes, again, small. They were too small. Yeah. I mean, could you make them snack pumpkins? I guess I could. It's just I'm concerned that I'm not going to be able to like scoop the insides correctly. I mean, how small, small are they? They're like that big. So we're talking about the size of like a bocce ball. That's what I've been seeing, yeah. Okay. I mean, that seems relatively reasonably sized. It's difficult to get a spoon into, like, a bigger sugar pumpkin. Like, I have found it difficult to scoop Hmm. when they're smaller. You need a larger spoon or a ladle. (laughs) You need something with a long handle. (laughs) I mean, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, are we really I, discussing ladling pumpkin? What, <laughs> what I really need is a bigger pumpkin. I mean, I but, suppose, but if uh, you know, if if the spoon does not fit, <laughs> you must acquit. Um, what the hell were we talking about today? Oh, so <laughs> well, first we were going to talk a little bit about your weekend, I believe. We are. Welcome to another episode, <laughs> kids. This is, of course, my spooky gay family. Uh. I'm very uh, exhausted, as you can probably tell from from my uh, my antics today. It has been a very long weekend. I've been a bit cranky. I I had a great weekend, but it was a very long weekend. Uh, I was working Comic Con in New York City, New York Comic Con. Everyone knows it. Uh, I was with HBO Max working at the Doom Patrol tent, and it was a lot of fun. HBO took very, very good care of me, so definitely be nice to to any of <laughs> any of your friends who work at HBO. Um, 
And that was a lot of fun, but it was very long hours. And I also had a pretty crazy experience on Saturday. I was asked to open for Kim Petrus at the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, New Jersey. It was a crazy, crazy experience. Um, I, I I don't even know where to begin. It was it was really really nuts. It was my first time opening for an act that big, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a lot of fun. I got to go out and kind of warm the crowd up, which I don't mean to brag, but I certainly did. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be releasing videos so you can check them out. Uh, they're probably on my Instagram and on my Facebook page. We just got the footage back today, so uh, I'll be posting it, and you can keep an eye out for it. I, I did like a half hour set. I had to I had to spend a lot of time doing stuff. I had a sound check uh, in in uh, on multiple occasions, but there was a sound check the day of as well. So I had to um, be there at two thirty in the afternoon. I didn't go on until seven fifteen. Um, so I showed up like painted and ready to go. Cameron Mahan, one of our faithful patron <laughs> listeners from North Carolina, uh, actually came up and joined me as my assistant. And I did a really awesome set with DJ Carl Michaels, who I had known from Philadelphia. And it, it was a really awesome experience. And I think the two main things I will say is that, uh, first of all, Everyone at the Stone Pony, every single crew member, and I'm going to stress this because you know how I am, Mm -hmm. Um, every single crew member, every person who worked there was so fucking amazing. I loved them all so much. You scared me for a second. No, no, no. This is is an appreciation uh, moment for the Stone Pony in Asbury Park. They were just absolutely phenomenal. Like... The sweetest, nicest people. There were uh, obviously there was the Stone Pony was there, and then um, there was a group called Asbury Sound, which was operating the sound for Stone Pony. And everyone there, everyone who was a part of that group, was so unbelievably amazing. Um, there's a there was a gentleman named Jay Dermer who uh, who took such amazing care of me, and was he made a point to come up and say how much he loved my set, and uh, he's in charge of Asbury Sound, and. One of like the sweetest, nicest guys, Jay had uh, donated so much sound equipment to um, every year at Georgie's, my friend EJ, who happened to be working on the team on Saturday. Uh, EJ hosts a benefit called for the Pulse Memorial Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of just like an LGBTQ fundraising opportunity uh and we raise money for survivors of uh the pulse nightclub attack in florida and ej plans and and organizes it every year and does such an amazing job and jay who runs asbury sound donated equipment and has been so unbelievably supportive of the lgbtq community in asbury park so and everyone who was there was so nice and and made a point to come up and say how much they enjoyed my set and was so like chatty and talkative and fun and I just like Stone Pony has been around for a very long time. It was opened in 1974 and uh, they opened the summer stage in 2001 and then it became what it is now, which is a massive, massive stage outside uh, in 2008. But it was the birthplace of like Bruce Springsteen and the E Street 
band that was like their home bar before they became famous. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they're very well known for having big, big, big names performing there. And it was such an amazing experience to be able to perform on that stage and with such an amazing group of people who not only were they like amazing, like fun, awesome people, but the sound was impeccable. Like absolutely phenomenally, phenomenally impeccable. Uh, so I have nothing but good things to say about everyone at the Stone Pony. Uh, that's my 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 big moment. Um, Kim Petrus was also very nice to the people she spoke to, which did not include me. Um, <laughs> and uh, okay. yeah, I. I'm sure she is a very nice person. I was not upset, but I was I was a little surprised by the fact that like I was like her opener. It wasn't like I wasn't like some queen they hired off the street to like pass out flyers. Like I was her opener and she didn't come say hello to me or anything. Her team was mostly nice. Uh there were a few kind of odd apples in the bunch, but um Generally speaking, everyone was very nice to me. Alex Chapman, the DJ who travels with her tour, was very, very sweet to me. Um, and her her group was very complimentary after after my performance. So I don't have anything bad to say about them. Generally speaking, they were very nice. I was kind of surprised that uh, she literally like ducked out <laughs> before my set and didn't return to the venue until after I had left. So, uh, and I was told explicitly that I had to be out of the green room after my set was done. So I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I don't have any bad things to say about her. I'm sure she's very sweet. Uh, it was just kind of a funny experience to say the <laughs> least. <laughs> but I had a really amazing time. The crowd was awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, and performing on a stage that big is just phenomenal. It's insane. I can't, I I don't even really know how to describe it because you have to figure, if I had to guess, I'd say there was probably like 1,200 people. I I don't know. um, I don't, I, uh, I don't even know what the capacity is at the summer stage, Uh, but it was full. Mm -hmm. I mean, according to Google, the the Stone Pony Summer Stage capacity is 3,000 people. And it was pretty packed. That's... Wow. Yeah. And it was vaccination required. It was proof of vaccination required to be at the event. Um, but I would say it was probably between two and 3,000 people. Shit. When I went on. Which is one of the bigger crowds I've ever performed for. It was nice because I I definitely had like... uh what's the what's the adrenaline i definitely had adrenaline kind of coursing through my body but i wasn't like nervous okay it felt pretty good actually like i had a lot of fun it was very windy super super (laughs) fucking windy um to the point where like my wig which was very very securely fastened on I think if I had been on for another like 20 minutes, I might have lost it, oh. <laughs> but I didn't. So, <laughs> so that's good news. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really, really amazing experience. I had a great time. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. Okay. Have you ever been to the Stone Pony? I haven't, no. No? 
It's a lot of fun. They have a lot of amazing acts there. I had wanted to go. Uh, at one point, they have, they had um, uh, Jason Mraz there on the summer stage, and I had wanted to go to that, uh, but I did not end up having the opportunity. I would love to go see Jason Mraz one day. I could see it might be a little small for Sarah Bareilles. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, 3,000 people seems small for her, right? I I wouldn't have any clue. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's not. I I would love to see Sarah Bareilles live. She's like one of my favorites. I would love to see her. I'd love to see Adele. Okay. But again, these are people playing to like stadiums. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I would love if they played Stone Pony, especially since now I have contacts there. <laughs> And I'd be like, hey, can I meet Sarah Bareilles? And they're like, you didn't even get to meet the person you opened for. Um, yeah, I I had a really, really amazing time. Can't recommend The Stone Pony enough. If you ever, ever get the opportunity to go to The Stone Pony, go. It is amazing. I loved it. Um, yeah, and that's about it. Okay. How was your weekend? What did you do? Um, like I said, we went apple picking and I watched my email like a hawk. <laughs> Always waiting for those letters. Yes. Um, well, that's exciting, though. I I wish I had a relaxing weekend. I, I've been working like crazy. October is always kind of a crazy month. So I'm looking forward to November when things slow down a bit. <laughs> but we did just find out today that we have a very exciting... Uh, we have a very exciting thing happening on the podcast this week, which uh, we can't announce yet. But maybe we'll, maybe we'll put a little a little teaser out at some point mm-hmm. in the next in the next two weeks or so. We have someone uh, very very awesome coming to join us on the podcast, and I'm excited for it. That's all yeah. I'll say. But um, you'll you'll just have to keep listening to find out who it <laughs> was. <Ooh. laughs> But anyway, welcome back to another episode of My Spooky Gay Family. We are very uh we are very excited for today's episode because we are not doing uh a movie that I think would be typical of our podcast, would you say? I don't know. I think it kind of it falls under our purview. It's definitely in our wheelhouse, but it is unlike most of the other movies we've reviewed on the podcast. Wouldn't you would you say that? That's fair. Yeah. Because it is not speci- it is not I actually would not classify this as a horror movie no, in I any don't way. Either. It is a family spooky movie. It is a Halloween movie, absolutely. Okay. It is a ghastly <laughs> kind of spooky ooky movie. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh we are going to be diving into the wonderful, wonderful movie that came out in 1991. It is, uh, I would say, a classic, especially for people of our generation who were young when it came out. Uh, it is the amazing 
The Adams Family. That was directed by uh, Barry Seinfeld. It was written by Carolyn Thompson and Larry Wilson and is based on characters developed by Charles Adams. And it stars Angelica Houston, Raul Julia, Christopher Lloyd, as well as Elizabeth Wilson uh, and many, many other notable people like Dana Ivey and uh, Christina Ricci. A lot of wonderful people appearing in this movie. <laughs> uh why don't we why don't we jump in? Are we Sounds ready good. to jump in? Yeah. Let's start with some Probably. general thoughts. Are you a big fan of the Adams family? I mean, I'm a huge fan of this movie and of its sequel. So I would say yeah. I think I am a big fan of the Adams family. Did you watch the TV show? I've seen episodes of it. It was well before my time. Mm. But um I've seen episodes and they're they're funny. Um it's very much kind of a Munsters y vibe. Yeah, it's very it's very much it's it's a much different show. It feels very 60s, which yeah. of course it was. Yeah. But um it was much more like bump bump. Yeah. <laughs> and this is not bump bump. Although no. it, it's, it it has its moments. It definitely it, it it's borscht belt and it's <laughs> slapstick but it's in a very new and different way. Mm-hmm. Like even when it has huge setups for jokes. You know what I mean? Like, even when uh, Morticia is talking about, uh, the, the, I forget what they're looking for. They're they're looking for something. Oh, they're looking oh, the, for the the, fi- the, finger the finger trap. trap yeah. And she's like, Uncle Knickknack's winter wardrobe, <laughs> Uncle Knickknack's summer wardrobe, Uncle Knickknack. Like it definitely <laughs> has the like. It's using the rule of three. Yeah. It has the punchline. It's the but um bump. But it's not. Um, it's it's so dry it doesn't have the same like it doesn't it, you don't have the like cigar smoking gomez yeah. being like yeah. ah uncle knickknack's summer wardrobe <laughs> you know you have raul julia who is uh an amazing actor yes. and and uh an amazing comedic actor and a phenomenal singer really like and and Angelica Houston these amazing amazing actors delivering these lines in such a like real earnest way that mm-hmm. it drives home just how weird the Adamses are <laughs> yeah that's kind of the funny thing about it is this is a movie that is incredibly silly like and that's yeah. that's not a word I use a lot, but it's it's a silly movie. But you can tell that the actors and the characters are taking it like a hundred percent seriously. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and you can tell that they were told to do so. Yeah. It's like the the drive of this movie is how weird these people are, but how unweird that is to them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when Morticia is at the school and she's mm-hmm. and the teacher is like the children were asked to to do a project about their heroes. Cindy did uh, whoever it was like Mary Lou Retton or yeah. whatever the fuck it was <laughs> and Morticia's like, "Oh, have you called her parents?" <laughs> like but with in such earnest yeah uh, that it was like clearly th- this is it has the like Pee Wee Herman syndrome where it's like <laughs> a very strange person living a very living in a very unstrange world right. that uh, makes this movie so lovable. 
And I think part of that has to do with the cast. Wouldn't you agree? I absolutely agree. I think that this was this is one of those movies that's very similar to Clue that mm-hmm. way in that I think this was perfectly cast. Yeah. Like, I can't think of anybody where I'm like, oh, I could have picked somebody better for that. Well, yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. The only person, and I hate to say this because it, it, uh, it seems a little shitty, I suppose. Um, the only person who I did find to be a little expendable was grandma. Okay. And I don't know if I would feel that way if it weren't for Carol Kane in Adam's Family Values. Yeah, that's fair. But I definitely think that Carol Kane added something that the character was missing. (laughs) Do you disagree? No, I don't. I I think that... I think that Carol Kane was a perfect casting choice for the second movie. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what made them not go ahead with the original actress. Forgive uh, me, I don't know her name. Her name is Judith Molina, and okay. she was wonderful. Yeah. Like, absolutely, not, not a bad thing to say about her. I know that, I, I mean, if you look on IMDb, she died in 2015, sadly, at the age of 88. So I don't, because my curiosity was like, oh, was it that she was old at the time and was unable to do Adam's family values or that, you know, that sadly maybe she had passed away at that point, but I guess that was not the case. Uh, I, I, I do see why adding someone like Carol Kane would be important to a movie like that because every kooky family in one of these movies where it's like, they don't know they're kooky. Mm -hmm. Every family has to have, Every one of those families, from a production standpoint, Mm -hmm. has to have one character that knows they are kooky. (laughs) And grandma was the perfect pick. (laughs) Grandmama or grandma. uh, She definitely is more fun when she's having a little more fun with it. That's fair. You know? I mean, works with cats. (laughs) Like, that's that's a... Bone and brine. Yeah, that's I know. The, that's how we love <laughs> we love grandma. I think she's definitely a little bit more memorable in mm-hmm. the hands of Carol Kane. Yeah. Uh, but again, I'm not trying to shit on Judith Molina. I think she did a wonderful job. No, I agree. I think um I think if there's really anybody else, the only other person maybe is Pugsley, but Pugsley as a character is kind of a hard not a hard sell. That's not the right way to put it. Pugsley as a character is less interesting than almost every other character in the movie. Yeah. he And, and I think this is just a personal preference because I know there will be people who disagree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Gene from, from Bob's, Bob's Burgers. Burgers. Because I like Gene. Gene is a lovely character. But I do find myself when there are like Gene-centric episodes. Yeah. I get a little like, eh, I didn't need this. That's fair. And that's a personal preference. I'm not, that is in no way a read against the character or the actor or the show. No, but it's, I kind of agree with that assessment. Like, you know what the I Gene-centric mean? Gene-centric episodes with like some notable exceptions Yeah, are kind of like, the talking toilet one is really good. But like, The talking apart- toilet one is excellent. But like apart from that, I can't really think of another like Gene 
centric episode where I was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, because it's always like it's always something to do with his music and it and yeah. usually it's music and farts. Yeah. And in the in it's so funny because like in the hands of Lady Bunny, that makes sense. But in the hands <laughs> of Gene, for some reason it doesn't appeal to me. Um and again, these are all just our personal preferences. It is in no way indicating that I think Gene is not a good character. It's just not my it's not my thing. No. Um, but I think Pugsley also kind of has that he kind of has that quality of like the young boy who just is kind of like going along with whatever happens. Yeah. And Wednesday is definitely more the instigator and the malevolent one. <laughs> so I think it's easy to identify with her because she she has a much stronger character. She's much more uh, dry. She's much more dark. She's much more interesting. She's she's the Louise. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, she, she totally is. She's also has lines whereas pugsley doesn't really have lines i mean so, he does they're just intermittently not, they're not really effective you know yeah like wednesday is a bit sardonic mm-hmm. and and kind of dismissive where pugsley is just kind of like a happy dog <laughs> and it's like it's it's <laughs> You love a happy dog, but it's harder to find that interesting in such a dark movie. Okay. You know? Yeah. I think that's the problem. Like, even when Wednesday is getting back at him because he was, like, poisoning her or whatever he did, he taped her to the chair and poisoned her. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's walking away with the knife and Morticia is like, no, is that for your brother? No, I don't think so. And then she takes the knife and then hands Mm -hmm. her, like, the giant, like, claw knife or whatever the fuck it is uh and wednesday gets to have those moments where it's like she just gets to be kind of dark and she really pushes the story forward i don't know she's she's way more involved with the whole fester thing and yeah definitely i i agree and just to clarify uh, there might be some confusion because i know that i uh I rewatched this movie particularly because uh, I find it can be difficult. We Adam's Family Values is such a beloved movie that it can be easy to mix up the Adam's Family and Adam's Family Values. Yeah. Uh, so just as a recap, this was the the first movie that they made in this small franchise, uh, <laughs> and it is. Basically, con artists plan to. Uh, this is uh, the IMDb description. Con artists, pl- con artists plan to fleece an eccentric family using an accomplice who claims to be their long lost uncle. And basically, what that amounts to is that this woman, uh, Abigail Craven, who is played by Elizabeth Wilson, impersonates this doctor, Doctor Penderschloss. <laughs> And yes. uh, she with gets the world's best accent <laughs> with the world's best accent. <laughs> um, it's very Freudian, very, uh, very campy. Um, she gets her quote unquote son, Gordon. <laughs> Gordon, listen to mother um, to play 
Uncle Fester, who has uh, run away from the family after an altercation with Gomez, his brother. Um, she gets she gets him to play Uncle Fester and to come back so in order to rob them of the money in their vault. Uh, and it turns out, obviously, that uh, Gordon is yeah. Uncle Fester, who was suffering from amnesia after a trip to the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> and she found him in, what was it like? It was like a, a, fishing shri- a fishing net yeah. uh, in Miami. And she claimed him as her son and was basically using him as like muscle as her, yeah. as she was like a mobster. Um, yeah. So that is the general plot of the movie. It is pretty straightforward as far as movie plots go, but ultimately very effective. <laughs> do you do you uh, consider this a successful co- dark comedic movie? I do. I think that um, I think that the jokes are all there. I think like the Uncle Knickknack joke is actually one of my favorite jokes in the movie. Easily. Um, it's one of my favorites as well. <laughs> but um, basically anything Angelica Houston does is amazing. And I think she carries the movie on her back a little bit sometimes. <laughs> but everybody else is doing great. But it's just, it's honestly, it's just her with the lighting on her eyes. Yeah. is Provides the dark and everything that comes out of her mouth provides the comedy. Definitely. Yes. I do think that she... Uh... I do think that she carries the movie a bit. Although I will say on my most recent watch, mm-hmm. I I kind of a- appreciated Raul Julia a lot more this time around. Okay. I've always been not dismissive of his character, but maybe it was like it didn't appeal to me as much. Mm-hmm. But I think in this watch... I was like, oh, I get Gomez more now. And I saw what he was doing. And I definitely think that he and Angelica Houston, Raul Julia and Angelica Houston, are definitely the driving force of this movie. Yes. They they nail it. Like, yeah. absolutely nail it. And I think Christopher Lloyd is also quite amazing Fester in this one is a more complex character. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think I like f- what they did with Fester a little more in Adam's Family Values because he kind of turns into the adult version of what we were talking about in Pugsley. Yeah. But in a way that's much more entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like, Muffin. <laughs> like, it just... It, it, his stupidity... He's like Doug from Up. You know what I mean? It's like, I hid under your porch because I love you. And that is what makes Fester so endearing. Yeah. Uh, in this one, he's still lovable. And mm-hmm. he's still a good character. But I don't know if I loved him as much as I love him in the second one. I think that's fair. I think that Christopher Lloyd does a really good job in this one because Mm -hmm. it is a bit more complicated. And Gordon slash Fester could have been a really unlikable character. Easily, yeah. But Christopher Lloyd gets a million props, by the way. We, We are absolutely not taking away from Christopher Lloyd's amazing performance. No. And and the supporting cast also does an amazing job. 
you have uh Dan Hedaya who plays Tully Alford. Yeah. Um who does an amazing job as always. He's good in basically everything. We you you know him from movies like The First Wives Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh what else has he been in? Uh, it feels like a million things. He was like a really big character actor in the 90s. A now, huge now huge character actor in the 90s. Um uh he was he was in uh uh Oh God! What is the name? Uh, oh my God! It's like <laughs> on the tip of my tongue. We the Usual both... Suspects. Okay. He was in The Usual Suspects. Uh, he was in Clueless. A lot of our yeah. listeners probably know him from Clueless. He was the dad in Clueless. Um, like I said, you absolutely know him from uh, the First Wives Club, where he played Brenda's husband, Morty. <laughs> Happy Easter, Morty. We should do that on a movies that made us gay one day. We should. Um, he was actually in In and Out. Was he really? He was. He was a, a military attorney. Oh, okay. I don't really remember where. I'm just looking at his uh, IMDb. IMDb. Uh, he was in Shaft. He was in Dick, which was really famous. He played Richard Nixon. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. He was in Swim I'm, appara- I'm apparently five years old. I know. <laughs> he was in Dick. <laughs> Not Warlock, just Dick. Um, He was in Swim Fan. Okay. Uh, which I, to be fair, have not seen in like 30 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess it's 20. It came out in 2002. But yeah, he, he was a very, very prolific actor. Still probably is, if I'm being honest. Um. His, yeah, he has a movie actually coming out this year called The God Committee. Okay. So I'll give it to him. Uh, yeah, Dan Hedaya, very, very famous character actor. You also have Paul Benedict, who was a, a pretty popular... I believe he was a television actor, right? Um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure Paul Benedict... Paul Benedict. Paul Benedict was a uh, a television actor. He was on The Jeffersons. He was obviously known for this. He was in The Goodbye Girl. Um a a bunch of stuff. You'd probably you'd recognize him if you saw him. He was the judge. Okay. He was uh, oh, okay. Judge yeah. Womack. Um and and obviously people like Dana Ivey, another very, very prolific character actor. She played uh Margaret Alford, Tully's wife. Yes, who ends up marrying cousin it the worst mother ever the worst mother ever. <laughs> <laughs> because she has a son in this film that does not exist in the second film <laughs> yeah <laughs> she she is definitely not the shining uh she is not the shining example of a good mother in no. this movie as a matter of fact, she gets so many children in the second movie, you have to beg the question, where the fuck is the other one? <laughs> um, you might know her from movies like uh, Ocean's 8. You might know her from uh, The Help. She was in The Help. Uh, she was in Rush Hour 3, which is apparently a movie she's very well known for, although I did not even really know she was in it. She was in Two Weeks Notice, uh, Legally Blonde 2, I'm trying to pick the movies that I think our listeners will know. <laughs> and she appeared on a lot of TV. She was on Frasier and and other uh, notable movies. She and is probably she. I remember her the most from uh, Home Alone Two. Okay, she's the desk clerk right. at the hotel. Yeah, 
and does an amazing job. She was also in Postcards from the Edge, the Meryl Streep movie that was written by Carrie Fisher. Um, And just amazing. Like, if you looked her up, you would know her in a heartbeat. I guarantee you've seen her before. I'm also going to give a huge shout out Mm -hmm. to um, Carol Stryken, who played Lurch. (laughs) Probably most famous for this part, if I had to guess. And I'm also going to give a uh, a notable notable, uh, moment to Christopher Hart, who played Thing. (laughs) And of course we have Christina Ricci and uh Jimmy Workman that are that played Wednesday and Pugsley uh respectively. This cast is phenomenal. Yeah. Everybody did a great job. There really wasn't a a weak link. I know that we've kind of shat on Judith Molina a little bit, but it <laughs> really. she wasn't a weak link. I just think the character definitely benefited from being in the hands of Carol Kane. Yes, no, I completely agree. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine a character that wouldn't be good in the hands of Carol Kane. So it's like, I I feel like you really can't take anything away from Judith Molina for not, for not doing it the way Carol Kane would do it. No, because Carol Kane is one of those actors where it's like, She's got the benefit of just being Carol Kane. Yeah. Of th- of that voice. Yes. You know what I mean? Like she could have played Uncle Fester and I would have been there for it. Or sh- our cousin It. It would have benefited from Carol Kane. So no judgment to Judith Molina. It's it's a competition that is essentially unwinnable. <laughs> you just can't really beat uh Carol Kane. I'm also going to say if I'm picking characters I really loved, mm-hmm. I actually think that Dr. Penderschloss, Abigail <laughs> Craven, yeah. really knocked it out of the park. No, she did. And again, could have been like a truly unlikable character. And mm-hmm. I mean, she's the villain. She's so the villain. So she is unlikable, but, but not. She's also kind of charming. And enjoyable. Yeah. Like you have a good time when she's on screen. Yeah. It's like watching. And I know this is going to sound so fucking ridiculous but i'm have you ever seen i'm i'm sure you have have you ever seen uh the live action casper from 1995 yeah obviously uh you have kathy moriarty as kerrigan Mm -hmm. and it's the same it's the same functionality where it's like she's the villain you're not supposed to like her but you kind of can't help but fall in love with her a little bit because she's she's like kooky crazy evil campy mm-hmm. and she's got that voice that ah, ah, ah. it's like <laughs> elizabeth wilson does not have those physical attributes she doesn't have the voice but she's such an excellent character actress that she really just nails it on this role no i completely agree i think um i think she's weirdly she she's such a match for the rest of the characters because like you would think that they're going to be the craziest people in this movie and then you mm-hmm. meet her and it's like, oh, nope. Oh, <laughs> never mind. They're just, they're just delirious. Which is, which is something of a trend in these movies. Like, I... it's, it's always the Adams family is fucking crazy and then they meet someone fucking crazier. I know. And it's like, who would have fucking thought? 
Who would have fucking thought that the the Adams family is never the most bizarre people <laughs> in in their movies? But I, I like I said, I I think that that's kind of the beauty of this movie. It it comes from a style of comedy that was really prevalent in the '90s, and I we talk about this all the time. I'm not going to be the old woman yelling at the clouds again. <laughs> I this is a very specific style that kind of was born of the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. that we don't really see anymore. And it makes me wonder do you think this style of comedy will come back? I really hope so. I I don't even really know how to define what the style is, but I know exactly it's what like you're talking shticky. about. It's like yeah, it's kind of tongue in cheek. It's a little, you know, the audience and the actors are both in on the joke. Like, mm-hmm. and it's smart. It's it is smarter than I would argue a lot of contemporary contemporary comedy, comedy is. is. Yeah, contemporary um, comedy tends to be more on the nose. Yeah, and it's or, more about visual comedy or or it's just such a wacky brow. situation that like yeah. it's of course it's going to be funny but like it's like semi farcical yeah because it it never really hits farce but it's towing the line of farce yeah i think like a good example would be like a movie like bridesmaids where like again the situation is just kooky enough that like mhm of course it's going to be funny and then you throw Melissa McCarthy in yeah, and, and like, <laughs> I will actually argue that Bridesmaids is one of the more successful contemporary comedies. I mean, I agree. I think it's a hysterical movie. And I think it has elements of this humor that we mm-hmm. see in The Addams Family. You know what I mean? Okay. Only in that it is very aware of the comedy it's dealing and can be ridiculous. That's fair. I have to admit, I was looking for an example of a movie I had seen, and I don't watch comedy anymore. I don't really either, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, but to be fair, I I haven't seen one recently that really caught my eye. That's kind of the thing. Like, I haven't... I, I don't know if they've just stopped making them, or I just... <laughs> like, like, I couldn't tell you a comedy movie that I even knew was coming out in the last, like two three years i don't think yeah i can't think of one off the top and granted like i said i'm very tired i had a long week (laughs) i'm sure someone would say something i'd be like oh right that one but off the top of my head i'm i'm struggling to come up with one i think i would really love to see i'm gonna say today i'm not going to be negative i'm going to say I'm putting it out into the universe. I would like to see this brand of comedy come back the adams family brand of comedy come back where it's like slightly absurdist semi farcical highbrow humor mm-hmm. that's how that's how i'm going to define it okay because don't, I, I don't don't you think that's kind of what this movie is i consider this kind of highbrow humor yeah no i mean they don't really go for the they don't go for the low hanging the fruit low hanging fruit so to speak <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, there's not, like, crotch shots and, like, fart jokes. Yeah, people aren't like getting kicked in the balls. Yeah. It's, uh, you can tell that they weren't, like, improvising. Yeah. Which is something I tend to get annoyed with. I can tell very easily when I'm watching contemporary comedy mm-hmm. when they went off script. Okay. And 
improvisation is not always a bad thing when it's done really well. But I find these days, you know who I think is the most, is the best example of bad contemporary comedic acting? Sure. That kid in Halloween. Oh, The curly haired one. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. He was in uh, Fear Street too. Yes, he was in Fear Street. He was in something else I I I was watching recently. Okay. I don't remember what it was. I don't know his name. It was a horror movie. I don't know it either. Uh and I remember watching Oh, he was in um uh Mayor of East Town. Okay. Have you watched that? I haven't. Oh, so fucking good. Okay. So good. Uh didn't go the way I was anticipating and I actually mm-hmm. liked my way better. Okay. But um <laughs> Kate Winslet, obviously, yeah. fucking phenomenal. She was doing a Philly accent, uh, which was kind of fun to watch. Okay. Um, I People were like, oh, you know, her accent was a little overblown, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't know. I've been to Philly. I think it was kind of underdone. But that's just me. <laughs> um, I, I, I saw him in Mayor of Easttown and I was like, this kid keeps working and I cannot stand him. I know it's a personal... Uh, like, <laughs> if you like him, good on you. Have at it. But to me, I'm like, I can't stand this kid. And his style of humor is the kind of humor that I just do not care for these okay. days. And I would love to see a resurgence of humor like this. Mm-hmm. Because even uh, these, like, throwaway lines, like the Uncle Nick Neck thing yeah. is not a throwaway line. But no. then you have moments like... Um, when Tully first comes to visit Gomez mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's talking about, uh, he's talking about Fester. He's like, this is the way we have to go. He was this, he was this, he was, mm-hmm. and he's like, he was kind to, he was kind to animals. So good with children. And then, uh, Gomez goes, <laughs> they couldn't prove anything. And it's like, they just keep, <laughs> they just like breeze right over it. Yeah. It's like, it's such a funny joke. Yeah. That just kind of gets lost in the mix because there's so many funny jokes mm-hmm. that you don't think twice about it. Yeah, no, I think one of my favorites is when Morticia is on the rack at the end and Tully pulls the thing and she just goes, you've done this you've before. You've done this before. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's just like, it's this one little throwaway line, but it's it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And that happens kind of every 10 minutes in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and I think... Again, it speaks to the actors. They just understood these characters very well, mm-hmm. where it's like she knew how to sell Morticia. She knew that Morticia would be into like bondage and S&M. <laughs> and so it's like, given it's written in the script, but I yeah. think her understanding of how to play it so subtly mm-hmm. was immaculate. <laughs> it was just immaculate. Um, and I think... I'm also going to give, because I know in the past, I have been very critical of directors Mm -hmm. who I didn't like their work. I'm going to say Barry Sonnenfeld nailed it. Yeah. I think really understood the tone of this film. If I'm being honest, I thought this was a Tim Burton movie. It looks like a Tim Burton movie. It very much does. It kind of feels like one too, but it, it doesn't go quite as surreal as Tim Burton goes? No, it's not surreal enough. But I have to say I like that in the styling of this I do movie. too. Um, I I enjoyed the art direction very much. I think that mm-hmm. it, everything looks right. 
It looks so spooky. Like, don't you want to live in their house? Yeah, the house looks awesome. The house is awesome. <laughs> I mean, the Adams Family house has long been coveted by horror fans. <laughs> we all want to live in this the mysterious and spooky, the altogether ooky Adams Family house. It it just is done so well. And I was like, ugh, I want I want a, a library that has a book <laughs> called Greed that you pull on and it opens the door and, it, and you pull on the chain and you go down the slide and you, you you have to be like the Phantom of the Opera and swim to your moat, through your moat to your vault. It's like... With that creepy calliope music playing. Yeah. <laughs> I want that. Um, I, I just think, I actually will say, I th- I'm going to give a lot of props to Barry Sonnenfeld because mm-hmm. that shows how well he articulated the tone of the movie from his perspective to the rest of the cast and to okay. the rest of the crew. He really had a vision and brought it all together, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And so I'm giving credit where credit is due. It is... um, It is... It is immaculately done i think this is one of those movies where it's like that you really couldn't have done much better than you did no i agree starting from the very beginning this <laughs> movie um as is the case with any good horror comedy yeah starts with christmas music <laughs> when it started i was like oh i feel lovely because it's like <laughs> it puts me in like a christmasy mood but then lurch yeah. comes out and it's like oh it's spooky and everything is wonderful mm-hmm. it's like this movie just has a great tone. We talk about the tone of movies all the time. Yeah. This movie has a great tone. Yeah, and it also, the fact that it finishes up on Halloween mm-hmm. is kind of like, it just sort of hits every <laughs> every little beat that it can. I know. And I love it. Yeah. Like, I don't know, the whole, I don't know how to phrase this. <laughs> it's like, isn't working today. My brain is not working today. But um... I, I feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you while you're thinking yeah. of how to phrase it? Um, there are a few surprise cameos in this. Did you know? Are that? there? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, first and foremost, we have Banny Ban- Banny Barry Sonnenfeld, mm-hmm. uh, who is the passenger on the train when Gomez is playing with his trains. Okay, that's the director. Okay. <laughs> That's that Barry Sonnenfeld. Um, we have Mark Shaman is the conductor at Fester's party okay. who did the music for this movie. Right. Mark Shaman is a really, 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 really famous conductor. Uh or I'm not sorry. Well, he is a conductor, but um composer. Composer and orchestrator and uh musician. He wrote the music for Hairspray, the musical, he uh, is basically Bette Midler's go-to um, songwriter. He does the music for all the Academy Awards and has done like hundreds and hundreds of movies. <laughs> like super, super famous. He was the conductor of the the band at Fester's Party. We also have, and I bet you didn't notice. Probably not. A very notable cameo, Zelda Rubinstein. Where was Zelda Rubinstein? She was one of the party goers. Ah. Oh. At at Fester's party. 
<laughs> did she not have a line? How she did didn't. She was not. She was not. Um, she was not a credited cameo. Okay. She is just like in the background. Okay, just because I'm sitting here going, because if Zelda Rubenstein had opened her mouth, I would have known Zelda Rubenstein was in this movie. Yes, as would anyone, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we had Zelda Rubenstein as well. And again, this is what makes me think that uh, Barry Sonnenfeld knew exactly what he was doing. He knew his audience and he knew what to give them. I'm giving mad props to Barry Sonnenfeld on this one. No, I think you're right to do so. I think that he knocked it out of the park. Totally. I I agree with myself. <laughs> <laughs> do you consider... You mentioned that it, this movie does end on Halloween. Do yeah. you consider this a Halloween movie? I do. I, I think that it's it's that family-friendly, I want to I watch something spooky with the kids kind of brand of Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. Like, this totally belongs on Freeform's 31 Nights of Halloween. Absolutely. Um, and I believe it is on there. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this and the second one, but um, the second one had better be the second one. I believe is because I think that Sarah had said that she watched most of it the other night after I went to bed. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I still haven't. Have you watched it this season? I haven't watched it this season. Yet. I haven't watched it this season either. I. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it because, like, I know eventually we're going to, to do, do Adam's it, yeah. family values. But um, I know that movie so well, I almost don't have to watch it to like, I can just think of the jokes and laugh. Yeah. So Absolutely. it's. <laughs> <laughs> what about Debbie? <laughs> <laughs> Malibu. <laughs> All that I can forgive. But Debbie. <laughs> Pastels. <laughs> <laughs> Joan Cusack is a national treasure. And Joan that's all Cusack I'm going to say. is a national treasure. <laughs> <laughs> Although, while we're on the topic, if we are, if we're comparing them, yeah. How do you think? How do we feel about this versus Adam's Family Values? <sighs> It's hard because they almost feel like different. They they feel like completely different movies. I agree. Like, so it's it seems kind of hard to compare them, but I think of the two of them, I have to go Adam's Family Values. If you just had to choose one. Like, if I had to choose one to watch for the rest of my life, it would be Adam's Family Values. Mm. It's, it's hard to say because what I will say about it is this movie feels spookier. It does. It feels... Like, it definitely got more of the, like, these people are creepy and crawly and not right, and they're actually living in the spook, where Mm -hmm. the second one feels a bit more camp. It's a lot more camp, and I think, honestly, that's probably what I like about it. It's definitely (laughs) an intentional thing, and it is, again, something that I think most people like so much about it. Yeah. And I, I want to be clear, I don't dislike the first movie. I love the no. first movie. I just, if I had to pick between the two of them, I have to pick the one with Joan Cusack in it. Well, yeah. But again, that one is much more overtly comedic, I think, whereas this one has kind of dark undertones. Yeah, no, this one is is a dark comedy 
Adam's Family Values is just a comedy. Like, I feel like this one has a lot more really dark jokes. Like, even yeah. Pugsley getting the electric chair. Yeah. Um, the jokes about their family that are buried in the back where it's like the <laughs> one was, like, f- executed by firing squad. Yeah. And... Uh, the the ones the ones that were like buried alive and shit mm-hmm. and even the when Morticia is like walking Fester through the graveyard and she's like, um, she basically tells him in kind of coded language, yeah. "Don't fuck with us or we'll fucking murder you." Yeah, it's like there's a there's a darkness that the family has in this movie that it does not have in the second one, in my opinion. No. Um, that I really enjoyed. It's something you do, like dark humor these days is not something that is really prevalent almost at all. No. Um, I think I just, <laughs> I just can't get over the, it's just, it's rapid fire jokes in the second one. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that, that speaks to me. Yeah. on a different level. And again, I don't hate this movie. I love it. I'm um, not I'm not arguing for or against. I'm yeah. just saying in terms of like what the difference is between the two movies, I think it's interesting that this movie I think this movie feels more Tim Burton because mm-hmm. it's so dark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I don't I don't know that I necessarily want to use Tim Burton as a bar, but <laughs> No, I have maybe not complicated feelings about Tim Burton, but how so? I think Tim Burton is an overrated director. I think in some instances that's true, but I, there are a lot of Tim Burton movies that I do like. I like them, but it's. I love Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is great. Um, I even sort of liked. The Charlie and the Chocolate Factory reboot. I d- I didn't see it to be fair, so I but can't really comment. I like Edward because there was a bit dark bit of dark humor in it. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, I just I in general I I think honestly what it comes down to is I think that the Nightmare Before Christmas is so like overly beloved. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. I don't understand why everyone loves Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, I like it. That's fine. You don't you're allowed to like it. I just it never I never liked the movie. I'm and surprised I don't that you don't it. like it if I'm being honest. Because That's fine. As, as someone who loves Halloween so much, it's kind of a love letter to Halloween. I'm surprised that it didn't speak to you that way. It just I don't I don't even know how to describe it. It's like there is something about it. I think it's honestly what it comes down to is I don't like Jack. I think Jack's kind of an asshole. And I know that that's kind of the point. Mm. But like, he's such an unlikable protagonist <laughs> that like, I can't get invested. I guess that's fair. I, I tend to like Jack. I think he's fun. That's fair. I I don't get it. I'm surprised. I like Zero. <laughs> Zero is a lot of fun. And you you have like Catherine O'Hara playing like 17 roles in that movie. So That's true. I, I'll go with that anytime. And Ken Page as Oogie Boogie. 
<laughs> I love Ken Page and I love Oogie Boogie. <laughs> Cause I'm the boogeyman. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> it's like, it's so silly. I love it. <laughs> That's why I'm shocked that you don't like it. But it's I, it's, an, an, it's all your opinion. You're entitled to it. Um, You're entitled to your wrong opinion. You are entitled to your wrong opinion. And it is terribly wrong. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I don't know how I would pick between this and Adam's Family Values. I love Adam's Family Values, ob- obviously for Joan Cusack. I love the comedy of Adam's Family Values. But in terms of like picking a movie that feels more like Halloween-y spooky to me, mm-hmm. this one really hit the nail on the head a little more for me. Okay. And I love, uh, uh, what's her name? Elizabeth Wilson, I think it is. Um, Dr. Penderschloss. Dr. Penderschloss. Yeah. I, I think she's a really awesome... Yeah, Elizabeth Wilson, who plays Dr. Penderschloss, a really awesome villain. She just does it for me. Debbie does it in a much different way mm-hmm. that I love, but I, I, I don't know. I really like this movie. I like, I like the feeling of this movie. Mm-hmm. It sits well with me. The second one... I, I, maybe I'm going to call it a tie. Okay. I don't know. That's fair. It's you hard to that. say. It's hard I'll, to say. I'll allow which, it. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say which one I would be like, you know what? This is the winner. Because I love them both for such different reasons. They're yeah. stylistically so different that it becomes very difficult for me to make a choice. It's like Sophie's choice. <laughs> How do you? Oh, no. Don't you feel that way? <laughs> I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but yeah. <laughs> do you have a favorite joke in this movie i know you said you loved uncle i do love uncle knickknack um i i this movie is so like right with jokes and my favorites are usually the like more subtle ones like i love when lurch is looking for wednesday and he like picks up the car to look underneath and he's like oh not under there Mm -hmm. and like puts the car down i love um when they're looking through the the book of like flesh wounds yeah (laughs) and they're just like having a a wonderful time um again i loved the uh the the joke when gomez is like they never proved anything when when (laughs) when he's like uh he loved children um Little things like even Morticia, like cutting the heads off the roses and then putting them back in the vase was so much fun. Morticia is definitely one of the more beloved characters to me. I love Angelica Houston. Lighting her must have been a fucking bitch. (laughs) Can you imagine? What a nightmare. And they're like, okay, Angelica, just don't move ever. (laughs) (laughs) We've got it perfect. Do not move. Literally. Uh... I don't know if she could in that dress anyway. I know. I loved that dress. I was like, God, I wish I was skinny and I could pull that off. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, she nailed it. Yes. Angelica Houston nailed it. And really got the humor of that character. Yeah, which is very subtle humor. And that's kind of noteworthy because that character can kind of be in the wrong hands, could be so understated to the point of like, disappearance 
Yeah. No, she could have been forgettable and she wasn't. Yeah. And she wasn't at all. No. That's what makes this Morticia, Morticia so Morticia might be lovable. my favorite character, actually. Oh, easily. I think if we're talking about the second one, it becomes much more difficult to pick a favorite character. Yeah, the second one, it becomes much more difficult. Because then you've got Grandma, you've got Debbie, and yeah. you've got Morticia. Yeah. And you've got the camp counselors. <laughs> <laughs> and Wednesday interacting with the camp counselors. I know. <laughs> I'll be the victim. All, All your, your life. life. <laughs> uh, am I forgetting anything? I don't think so. I think this is basically just an hour of us going, this cast is amazing and this movie is I great. I know. And it, it's so well done. Even like the jokes with, um, uh, what's her name? Mrs. Tully. Oh, um, <laughs> Tully, Mrs. Margaret. Alfred. With Margaret. Yeah. Uh, with the fucking finger trap. <laughs> yes. It's so <laughs> stupid. But it's like it just keeps happening. And, and, uh, the, she again so perfectly executed it could be such a throwaway thing but like the most enjoyable also like that earnest love scene she has with cousin with it. cousin it. <laughs> <laughs> i know when she's like dancing she's with him playing it completely straight and it's like you're talking to a wig <laughs> <laughs> You are essentially Katya at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, it, she. Uh, it. That's what I love so much about this movie is how dry the humor is. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put it out into the universe. We are going to see in the next few years, I'm putting it out into the ether. We're going to see a resurgence of this kind of dry highbrow comedy. I hope so. I, I really do. I hope so, too. I think that I think that we're overdue for a swing back in that direction. And it it's time for the pendulum to swing. I think you're absolutely right. I, I think even in terms of like seeing a character like Thing yeah. come back, that would be great. Yeah. And if you want to talk about like really notable f- features of this movie, I think Thing is definitely one of them. <laughs> in 1991, it must have been like next to fucking impossible. Yeah, no, I can't imagine that the effects team had a great time dealing with thing no not at all i actually can't even imagine how they shot it i mean i'm assuming it was i'm assuming it was mostly green screen yeah but it's so funny to me because it's like i think the green screen in this one was better than the one in the second one if i'm Mm -hmm. being honest and you do see some kind of classic puppetry tricks, like when Thing is trying to tell Gomez that Morticia is at the house mm-hmm. and he's like doing sign language. Yeah. Which he's not, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, would it have been that hard? But, um, and Gomez does make a joke about how he's like, I hate when you get this frantic and you stutter, but yeah. it's like, I was like, you. it's a hand. It doesn't have a recognizable face. You could have hired a, a, an interpreter. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, in that moment, it's clearly someone sticking their hand through the table. Yeah. But still kind of perfect. <laughs> like, the I, I miss practical things. <laughs> no, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things where it's, it's almost kind of charming. Yeah. It's it's like I I like the fact that I know perfectly well that there's an actor underneath this table with his hand stuck through a hole. Exactly. 
I miss things like that. And I'm putting it into the universe. We're going to start to see a resurgence of that. Everything's retro except the things we want to be. <laughs> yeah, seriously. If we're going to bring back the 90s. Like, if we're going to do mullets, can we at least bring back some of the good shit? Yeah. Like, for real. <laughs> well, I think that's I think that's a good place to, to call it with the yeah. Adams family, no? Yeah, no, totally. Um, let us know your favorite moments and your favorite characters. We love to hear them. Uh, we'll definitely talk them up on on future episodes so um we have a fun 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 episode coming for you next week um i'm actually even gonna let people know because i feel like our listeners should know in advance so they can plan for it Mm -hmm. sam and i just today bought our tickets to go see the movie we are reviewing next week you can probably guess what it is based on what's coming out tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) Sam and I will be going to see Halloween Kills this Friday, and we will be reviewing it on the podcast next week. So if you haven't seen it, uh, and you probably haven't since it hasn't come out till tomorrow, uh, <laughs> you should. In, in, in anticipation of next week's episode, we will be doing Halloween Kills, and we will be back on Monday with another mini, mini microsode on Patreon. Uh, so that's it. We uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Come back next week. We've got a lot of fun stuff for you. So until then, stay spoopy and remember. Everyone keeps asking where he bought his costume. It is a wonderful hat. What are you, darling? Where's your costume? This is my costume. I'm a homicidal maniac. They look just like everyone else. My Spooky Gay Family features music by Nate Walker, artwork by David Elon, and this episode contains clips from The Addams Family, distributed by Paramount Pictures, Columbia Pictures, and Orion Pictures 1991. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a nice message, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, and YouTube. My Spooky Gay Family is a product of Barbara Duel Productions. Barbara Duel Productions.